Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the strong and wonderful name of Jesus. Greetings. Isn't it a beautiful day that God's given us today? Hasn't He given us all so much? Amen? And yet in the midst of all of this beauty, there still remains so much pain. You know, when I look at little Thomas there, and his smiling face. It's hard for me to be in pain, but when I think about what he's been through, when I look at you, I, I think, how are you not crying every time, you know, because you just love your son, you know? I know you do. I love him, and he's just the, he's just the boy that lives down the road and comes to our church. But I'm so thankful that Thomas is here today, amen? amen. And I'm thankful that they're working on it, and maybe, maybe that eye patch we talked about, maybe one day we'll put it on the wall over there. Yeah. Amen. <clears throat> it's bad when I get emotional in the greeting, because it's going to just keep going, all right? Serving God is wonderful, and it's terrible. It's exultation and <clears throat> even sometimes despair. In the movie Shadowlands, about the, the life of C.S. Lewis, the celebrated Christian author, Lewis is faced with the fact that Joy, the, her name is Joy, the, the, the love of his life is, she's dying with cancer. And he said this, he says, why, why love if losing hurts so much? He said, I have no answers anymore. He said, only... The only answers I have are the life that I've lived. He said, twice in my life, I've been given a choice as a boy and as a man. The, boys chose, the boy chose safety, but the man chooses suffering. The pain now is part of the happiness then. He said, that's the deal. David understood this fully when he wrote Psalm 30. He said, O oh Lord, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up, and you've not made my foes to rejoice over me. O oh Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. 
O Lord, Thou hast brought up my soul from the grave, and Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. For His anger endures but a moment, but His favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face. And then I was troubled. I cried unto thee, O Lord, and I said, Lord, and I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth, O Lord? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me, Lord. Be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me the morning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to Thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto Thee forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we come before You today with great joy and great sadness at the same time. Lord, we live in a fallen world where there is death and dying and destruction and poverty, and yet we see beauty, even holiness, loveliness, goodness, and mercy, O oh Lord. Lord, in these things, Lord, they are such stark in contrast, and yet they exist to remind us of what sin brought on the world so that we might hate it. And a reminder of what you brought on the earth that we might love you. Lord, I pray today as we come into your presence, O oh Lord, that you would forgive our sins, Lord. That you would cleanse us. Lord, that you would feed our hungering souls today with manna from above. Lord, that you would change us that we might be more like you. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said... standing for just a little bit longer as I read from my text from John chapter 16 uh, starting in verse 20 my sermon today is called sorrow seeds of joy John 16 starting in verse 20 verily I say unto you that you shall weep and lament but the world shall rejoice and you shall be sorrowful but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born in the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man will be able to take away from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may 
be full. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you anxious to hear from you. Speak to us, your people. Help us to see what your word said to the disciples and what it says to us today. Change us by this word, O oh Lord, and make us more like you. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last week I remarked that my sermon about hate weeds was no doubt be passed over by would-be sermon listeners due to its hateful title. If that's the case, today's message, which is about joy, might enjoy a little bit of a wider audience. Now, when I realized the direction was going and God was taking me here, I smiled just at the sight of the word joy. You know, it's like, okay, all right, this week we get to talk about joy. Wow, it's going to be great. Joy I can talk about, right? That's so much better than talking about hate weeds. But you know the truth. Truth is, what God had to say to us last week is still speaking to me. I'm still wondering if I've been motivated by these hate weeds uh, more than by my love for God. Now, we're grown up enough to understand that we need a lot of different things in our spiritual diet for the health of our souls. Two weeks ago, we were learning that our devotions need to be to God himself and not to our righteous living. When we're devoted to being good, rather than devoting to loving God, we're going to get two different results. Amen? Our devotion to God should lead us to good behavior, not our devotion to good behavior. That's not going to lead us to God. Our devotion to good behavior leads us really to self and to pride and to ugliness. But our devotion to God leads to God growing love in our lives. And that's where the good works will come from. Last week we talked about how we may have strayed from the paths of righteousness by trying to avoid the hateful jeers of the ungodly. Hate weeds are going to hate no matter what. No matter what we do. And this week we're going to talk how Jesus continued to prepare his disciples for his crucifixion and the unthinkable pain that it was about to cause them. In our text, Jesus compares the labors of childbirth and the joy that comes at the end of this great suffering with what was getting ready to happen to them. These horrible, seemingly impossible pains that they were about to go through would eventually give way and give birth to joy. Amen? Imagine trying to explain this to a woman right before she has a baby. All right, she's never had a baby. It's her first one. All right, you're going to have to understand this is going to be horrible. There's going to be points in it. You're going to think you can't go on anymore. But you've got to stick with it. Right? He told them that joy would come to them if they endured through these things on a scale that they had never seen before. And that's kind of how it works, right? It seems that when we're at the depths of our despair and we don't really see what God is doing and we're in the midst of our circumstance, when we finally see what God is doing, pretty great. Don't you think heaven's going to be like that? Here we've been struggling, we've been laboring, we've been having difficulty, we don't understand it. And then like in heaven, Andy, God's going to go, let me show you what it was all about. And you're going to be like, wow, Lord, 
What you had in store for me was so glorious and so wonderful. I could have never imagined it could be so good. The contrast of the depths of their great sorrow against the sky of what was about to happen would be brilliant and vibrant. And beside this, just when they thought they'd experienced the most joy that they ever had, right after all this joy of what God was going to do, you know what God said he was going to do? He's going to give them even more joy. I remember God speaking to my heart one time when I was in a very dark place that God was going to do something good for me. And when I thought that it was better than it could ever be, he was going to make it even better than that. That's what God does. God gives us more than we dreamed of. I, I don't know if I've said it here, but I've certainly said it in conversation in the last month or so because I've been thinking it. I'm glad that what God has for me has not been limited to my dreams and my imagination because I'm not living my dreams. I'm living things that are so much better than my dreams and I could never have dreamed that God would bless me with what he has. So let's pick up where we left off last week and work our way back to our text. We ended in John 15, actually in verse 21, where Jesus said this. He said, all these things that they're going to do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Remember all those things they were going to do? They were going to hate you, right? They hated him and they're going to what? Hate who? They're going to hate you too. Hey, disciples, they hated me. They're going to hate you. You can... Take this for yourself, Foundation Church. They hate Jesus. They're going to hate who? They're going to hate, they're going to hate you. They were going to kill Jesus, and they're also going to kill his followers too. Verse 21, he said, If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. The truth of who they were and what they were would be stripped bare. And their hatred would be naked and shameless in its depravity before God. There was no way in the world for this to happen except for Jesus to come. Here he would come saying the perfect words. Here he would come living the perfect life. Doing nothing to hurt or offend or, or, or cause anyone pain and difficulty. All he came to do is bring peace and love and healing and blessedness. And when he did, they hated him. And he said, this is, this is going to take away their cloak. Because people... People that hate Christians, they always have a cloak for their sin, right? They say, you know what? Preachers are always living ungodly and they're doing this. That's why I don't go to church. And, and everybody say, and they're right. Preachers do live ungodly and that's, they're, they're right, right? They say, you know what? These Christians are the biggest hypocrites on the street. And, and as Christians, we can go, yeah, we, we, we probably are the biggest hypocrites on the street in a sense, maybe. But when Jesus came, there was no cloak for their sin, right? He wasn't a hypocrite. He didn't falsely love them. He really did. And he never let them down. He literally made it impossible, Christina, for them to complain about anything he did. There's nothing he did that was wrong or sinful. He never broke one law. He never violated a command. He never sinned against a man. And yet, what, Steve? They hated him. Only the darkest hearts, the blindest eyes, the stopped ears could run over with hatred like theirs would. Not for hate of what he was doing, but hatred for him. Fallen man hates God. We cannot love God until he touches us and makes us alive by his power. There was no good in man, no righteous, no not, not one. 
None that sought after God. They were all together dead in their trespasses and sin. And all men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The light had come and they had sought to put it out. Because men hate that. They don't like it when you shine the light on them and they see what they are. They hate it. Verse 23, he said in chapter 15, He that hates me hates my father. If I had not done among them the works which none other man ever did, they would not have sinned like this. But now they have both seen and hated both me and my father. You see, their hatred for God could never be fully seen when they hated the prophets. It could never be fully seen when they hated Moses. All of these were less. All of these were lesser lights. They were not the light himself. They were really just trying to reflect the light of, of God. The incredible works that Christ did far surpassed any of the prophets, his healing, the calming of storms, the walking on the water, the feeding of thousands and raising from the dead. These undeniable beauties that were vile to these children of the devil and only glorious to those who had been touched by the hand of God. Verse 25, he said, but this came to pass that the world might be, the word might be fulfilled written in their law, which he's quoting from Psalm 69. The law says, they hated me without a cause. Some people think they have a reason to hate God. And the truth is, they do. It's called because they're sinners. That's why they hate God. They don't hate God because he's hateable. They don't hate him because he isn't loving and he isn't kind and he isn't good. They accuse God of these things. But the reason they hate him is because they're dead in their trespasses and sin. Psalm 69, Jesus was quoting here as he did more than one occasion fulfilling many of the lines from this long and torturous death on Calvary he's quoting it it's being fulfilled in his life even on the cross he reminded his disciples that their hate of him that the world's hate of them would be because they hated God not because they hated anything that he did as a man they hated him for no cause he did nothing but reveal the father in verse 26 of chapter 15, he says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father. You might not want to miss that, because it's where we get the doctrine that the Father, we believe in the Father, we believe in the Son, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, which what? Which proceeds from the Father and the Son. This is where this comes from. It comes from John 15, 26, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. And also you shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. When the Holy Ghost comes and fills your hearts, he will speak of Christ through you. You, my disciples, when you speak, you will tell them about me. And those that hated me and my father are going to what? They're going to hate you. Folks, this was going to be so painful for them. What was about to happened to them was going to be beyond our comprehension giving birth to a baby is a wonderful thing but how terrible a thing too this hatred and these persecutions were just the beginnings of sorrows <coughs> John 16 starting in verse 1 these things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended he was getting them prepared I'm telling you now so you can prepare yourself, Jesus is saying. We need to prepare our children for this too. We talked about this with the hate weeds last week. 
They need to be prepared for this kind of hatred because the world still hates Jesus. Men who have not been changed by the Father still hate the Father of Heaven. They despise His claims on them, His commands for them, and they want to rebel against Him. They have no way to reach out and get a hold on God. They're not building towers anymore, right? Like they did the Tower of Babel. If we could build this tower, we'll get up there and we'll bring God down. They, they realize how futile their efforts have been. So now they have a way to reach God. And you know where it is? It's right in you. That's why they want to grab a hold of you. They want to stop you. Do you guys remember when Stephen was preaching? He's telling them about the goodness of God in Acts chapter 7. He's preaching a sermon and he's explaining to them. And then he turns to who they really are. And this is when it got ugly. Do you guys remember this? And he looked at them and he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. Why was, why was he saying this? Well, they had just killed Jesus. That's why. He said, you stiff-necked and hardened ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so did you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And now you have slain the just one, the Messiah. Now, when he started explaining to them what they did, what did they do? Do you guys remember this? It says they ran on him and they stopped their ears up with their fingers and they gnashed on him with their teeth. I don't even exactly know what that means. I mean, did they bite him? Did they, you know? Someone says they were grinding their teeth in hatred, you know? We don't know exactly what that means, but we do know they picked up stones and they started hitting them. Could you imagine being so angry with someone that you hit them with stones until they died? Why did they want to do this, Steve? They want to do it because they couldn't take it. He had turned the light on them, on who they were. And they're like, no! And that's what men do. And so sometimes preaching is greeted with great things where people go, oh, bless the Lord. This is what I've always been looking for. But true preaching will also cause people a great emotion in the other direction. And if, if your preaching doesn't do that, you're probably not preaching God's word. They hated him without cause because they just hated him. Jesus prepared them in verse 2. He said, they shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time will come that whosoever kills you will think that he does God a service. Isn't that kind of what's going on even in the world, even right now? Haven't you seen these God-haters? They think if they do something horrible to you, they're doing a good deed. And I know this is such a minor, a minor thing, but did you see in the news this week, they, they kicked Sarah Sanders and her family out of a restaurant, and they said, you're not allowed to eat here because you work for the president. Did you guys see this? And they're like, you know, we have moral standards in our restaurant. She's a Republican? <laughs> That's grounds, you know? I'm telling you folks right now, we are in a culture war in our country right now. You see, what they hate is they know that one part of America is done with, you know, having gay marriage thrown down their throat. One part of America is done with our government giving $500 million a year to kill babies. One part of our country hates the ungodly practices of our government, and the other part loves it. And if you think there's anything else going on other than that, you're wrong. This is not about taxes. This is not about anything. This is a culture war. Now, do the Republicans represent all that's Christianity? No, they don't. But, but they do have a few of the things, and that's just enough 
I mean, that's what's, you're going to see more violence. You're going to see more crazy stuff. Elizabeth was wearing a I vote pro-life shirt and she realized, she's like, wait a minute, I went to the store and I had that on. I'm like, honey, if they yell and scream at you because you have that on, you might want to wear it every day. I mean, our whole life isn't about politics, right? But at the same time, are we speaking the message? Are we, are we, putting, this, are we putting out this message in our lives? Are we, are we really just wanting to fit in in this beautiful land of the free and the brave where grass is green and the crops are up and we don't have like armies roam, roaming the countryside, burning our houses down? I'm thankful that's not going on here, but a life of comfort and ease is not necessarily the life that Christ has for his disciples. They will be so blind in their hatred of God that they will see their violence against you as righteous. Don't you remember what the apostle Paul, right? He was Saul. What was he doing? He was there on that day. He was on that day holding the coats of the men who threw the rocks that killed Stephen, who, who, who did such a beautiful thing, right? Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Lord, they don't know what they're doing, right? The next verse Acts chapter 9, verse 1, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church, were pulling men and women out of their houses and having them committed to prison. He was killing Christians. You may wonder why Paul will say he's the worst sinner. He's not saying he's the worst sinner because every day he you know, is living in daily sin. He means, I have murdered Christian brothers and sisters. The church was afraid of him coming to, to preach at their churches after that. Wouldn't you be afraid? <laughs> They're like, we don't know about this guy. We know he killed Christians, right? But when he did that, he did that thinking it was a zeal for, for what? For God. And I'm telling you, in their blind rage, they will feel very righteous about what they do. Like, when are we going to get to the joy? Sorry, guys. It's pretty rough. Sorry. We're still on hate, right? These things they will do unto you because they have not known my Father nor me. And you may, well, Mark, why are you still talking about this? Because Jesus is still talking about this. That's why we're talking about it. But these things have I told you that when the time comes that you may remember that I told you about them. And these things I said not to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away. I go to the Father and none of you ask me where do I go? But because I've said these things, now sorrow is filling your heart. You're starting to understand what's going on. I'm getting ready to leave. Nevertheless, verse 7, I tell you the truth. I must go away. It's expedient for me to go away. For if I don't go away, the comfort will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. We talked about this last week or a few weeks ago about the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Jesus had to die to accomplish victory over sin and death. This was the only way. He had to go away. As wonderful as he was, God in the flesh walking with men, he was going to send us something even more glorious. God was coming to live in our flesh. So the, the great pain and labor that was going to bring such joy was pain and labor beyond their comprehension. Not only were they going to... Well, I'll get into it more here in just a minute. Verse 8, when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Remember I said he had a three-point sermon, Tim? He said, the Holy Ghost is going to do something in you. 
Okay, and this is a good way of thinking about what the Holy Ghost does. But when you read it, the Holy Ghost is going to cause you a lot of trouble in the world. It's going to be a great blessing to you. It's going to be a great blessing to those that you're reaching for Christ. But it's going to make you the target of hate. Three things. He's going to reprove the world of three things through you. The comfort of the Holy Spirit was not just coming back to comfort them, not just to be their friend and helper. He was coming back to reprove the world. Verse, five, verse 9 says, Of sin, because they believe not on me. The Holy Spirit will speak to the world through us, and merely hearing us will convict them of sin. They won't like it. You see, when Jesus walked around and they saw his good deeds, it drove them crazy. But when the Holy Spirit fills you and you do good deeds, you're going to be just like him. They're going to hate you for the same thing. He's not going to be here to walk around and feed the 5,000 and have mercy on people. He's not going to, but you're going to. And so you are going to be the way that they are being reproved for their sin. They didn't believe Jesus and now they won't believe the Spirit that speaks. Their rejection will be a witness of their guilt and condemnation. Two, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God will teach His people how to live, he, how to be truly righteous. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will reprove the world with righteousness because He will not be in the world to do it Himself. You will. Every deed Jesus did showed them what they really were. They were whited sepulchers. They were twofold children of hell. They were of their father, the devil. And as clean as they wanted to say that they were, his life showed them the filth that they really were. And it filled them with a constant hatred. This is something the Holy Spirit does through you. This is why they hate you. You start living like Jesus lived and expose them for what they are and how they're not living. They're going to hate you. You're going to also reprove them. Verse 11, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. You will not only do this for men, but you will judge angels, right? Isn't that what it says? How is it that we will judge angels? Is God going to put us on a throne? Or will God say, look at these people. These people are, were dead in their trespasses and sins. They're human beings. They're flawed. They even have this body of sin still living in them. And look what they're doing. They're loving God. They want to obey God. They're worshiping God. None of which the devils want to do. So we're going to reprove the world of sin. We're going to reprove the world by righteous living and we're going to reprove the world as a judgment against the angels that have fallen from their estate that's a great function of the holy spirit that's what's happening they're not going to go down without a fight folks men will fight against you and that'll be bad but the devils and demons will fight you as well the difficulties and the tribulations will come and they will come but after they're over when the battle is won something worthwhile is coming that will make you forget the suffering verse 12 he said I have many things to say to you but you can't even bear them now Howbeit, when he the spirit of truth has come he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak and he will show you things to come he shall glorify me for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you all things the father has are mine and therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it to you a little while and you shall not see me and again a little while you shall see me because I go to the Father he's talking to them kind of in riddles they're wondering what in the world is he talking about he's talking about you'll now you see me now you don't right I'm dead but then guess what 
I'll be back. And he comes back. They're not understanding exactly what he means, but this is what he's saying. So some of the disciples said among themselves, what is he saying? I don't understand this. A little while you'll see me, and again, a little while after that you, you, you won't see me, and you'll see me. What is he talking about? Verse 18, they said, therefore, what are you saying? A little while? We can't tell what he says. Verse 19, now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him. And he said, do you inquire among yourselves that I said, a little while you shall see me. And again, a little while you shall see me. So now we get right back to our text in verse 20. This is, this is right where it all comes down. Verily I say unto you, you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. Can you imagine what it was like at the crucifixion when they're making fun of Jesus and all these people that he had reproved? Don't you think some of the people that were at the temple where he had thrown them out were standing and going, Yeah, right, now you see. Come and throw me out of the temple. We got you up there where you belong, you heretic, you ungodly man. You think you're better than we are because you got your whip and you threw us out of the temple. I mean, guys, I'm telling you, that's what was going on. Could you imagine having been a disciple watching this happen? You're watching it and you're watching in disbelief. They've beat him. They've scourged him. They've crucified him. There he is. They're making fun of him. They're laughing at him. They're spitting on him. Is he going to die? And they're running away. They're denying. Peter's like, I don't know who this guy is. Right? Folks, this would be horrible tribulation like you could not imagine. They shall weep and lament, disciples, you're going to, but the world shall rejoice. You shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. These great sorrows that they would endure would not merely end. That sorrow itself would be turned into joy. That's what God does. He takes dust and He makes men out of it. He takes mourning and He turns it into dancing. Things that seem horrible, hopeless, and pointless become the greatest, most wonderful things in Christ. In Christ, pain has purpose. Everybody say, in Christ, pain has purpose. You might be in the middle of some of that pain right now. I know some of you, many of you are, you're in it, but that pain in Christ has purpose. When the world experiences pain, it's purposeless. When you have pain, it's God's doing something in you, Paul. He's, he's changing you through that pain, and you're thinking, what good could possibly come from this? It's what I ask myself all the time. I'm like, Lord, what good could possibly come from this? Really? Come on, Lord. There's nothing good that can come from this. I mean, could you imagine being a disciple standing there, watching blood run down the face of Jesus from the crown of thorns, and going, this is not good. This is horrible. And then watching them take his lifeless body down from the cross and throw it on the ground like trash. And they're looking at the hands that had healed and they're looking at the mouth that had spoken so many good things and it's silent. How do you think they... I mean, that would be horrible, but God gave them three days. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow but because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, 
She remembereth it no more. Don't you think that the disciples who denied the Lord, who stood in horror that day, when they saw Jesus at the resurrection, I bet you they were like, Whoa! I couldn't imagine the lowness that I was. I couldn't, it was pointless, but holy mackerel! And they might have said that. They were fishermen. They, they could have said holy mackerel. Oh, the heights of joy when our sorrow has been so great and we understand what God has wrought. Amen? As a woman who agonizes and birth forgets the anguish for the joy that is set before her in her little nursing child. That's what they were going to experience. And it's what you experience sometimes too. You're in it and you're like thinking, well, it's done. It's over. Nothing can fix it. Haven't you been there? There's no way back from this. Right? This is the worst. It's the worst that there could possibly be. And there's nothing good in it. Haven't you ever been there? I've been there. They would quit their band of 12. They would flee for their lives shamelessly, shamefully deny His name. They would wallow in doubt and cowardice, be tempted to forget what they had seen and what they had been promised by their Lord and Master. When they thought they were standing over the stillborn baby that was supposed to be the Messiah, looking at the lifeless body of the one they believed was the Messiah, as their labor seemed pointless. I can't imagine what it would be to carry a baby to term and, and to deliver the baby and the baby is dead. And that's what it was kind of like for them. Here they had suffered so much and now it seems the baby is dead. The Messiah, the, the hope of the kingdom is dead. And after all that, three more days. Lower than just seeing him scourged. Lower than seeing him crucified. Lower than just seeing him dead. Oh, the agony of the problems they would face. Three days of wondering if they had imagined all they had seen. For them, the joy of the resurrection was for them like men who were dreaming. And it was so great because their sorrow was so painful. The reality of what would happen would transport their into a joy that they had never been in. Could you imagine it? I, I, I honestly, I really can't. I can't imagine being at the depths of a dead, buried Messiah, destroyed everything, to seeing the risen Christ standing before them and saying, touch my hands and my side. Behold, I was dead, but I'm now alive forevermore. And I now can go to the Father. And the Holy Spirit's going to come. I can imagine that they were like, I, I think that they were just, I think it's where we get it, Andy, from First Peter where you read it. He goes, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory in the half has never yet been told. Could you imagine, Ashley, what it was like? And they had just run their entire existence out to total despair and then exultation before their eyes. As great as their joy would be for them that day, God says there's even more for them left after that. What could that be? God had, and it's hard to believe, even after taking them from such depths to such height, 
He said, you know, that's not all. It's going to get better than that. That's pretty incredible. That's exactly what's going on here in this text. Because he uses the words, what I'm going to do for you next is going to be so that your joy, Steve, may be full. Right now it wasn't even full. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute. God, you've just given me more than I could ever imagine. I mean, I thought it was all over, but now you're the risen Christ. Now we are the, the disciples and the apostles of this great kingdom of God come from heaven to earth. And now you have been vindicated and you're risen from the dead and death could take no hold on you. And you have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And sin now, woo! You know, and you're all excited. Oh, but I got more. What? What more is it? And now, therefore, you can have sorrow, but I will see you again, he says. See, this is part of the joy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see you. Your heart will rejoice, and the joy that you have no man will take from you. This is what it is. Don't miss this. He said, there will be a day coming when you don't have to ask me for anything. See, he was there in their flesh. When, when a demon need cast out, Steve, you know what they need to do? They go and they go. Could you help us? When the people were hungry on the side of the hill, all oh, these people are hungry. What are we going to do, Lord? They had to come to him. For thousands of years when the Jews wanted their sins forgiven, you know what they needed to do? They had to come and they had to go to a priest. And the priest was a mediator between them and God. Man, the sinner that he was, couldn't go to God. He couldn't stand in the presence of God. They even tied the rope to the, to the foot of the, the high priest when he went in to offer this, the, the, the blood and pour it on the mercy seat because they thought God might kill him too. None of us can go for sure, but God might even kill him. So let's tie a rope to his leg so we can pull him out if he dies. And he goes, those days are going to be over. You won't, need, you won't need me in the flesh. You won't need a priest at the temple anymore. There's going to be nothing between you and God and you can ask God for things and he's going to give them to you and God's going to come and not just walk with you on the shores of Galilee. He's going to live in your heart. That's the more joy. In that day you'll ask me nothing. Verily I say unto you whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name, ask, and you shall receive that your joy may be full. The full measure of joy was that God had to offer them was coming to dwell in their hearts. No mediator would ever be needed again. They would have direct access to God. No more were they separated from God by their sin. They would continue their walk with God that they started with the God-man, Jesus Christ. Within them would reside the great well of salvation for themselves and for others to drink from. No more blood and bulls. No more fire and gold-covered furniture. No more veil between them and God. I don't think we understand it because we've been living it. We, we get this. They, they never had us before. No veil between God's people and the glory of God. This would be the greatest joy the world could know in this life and the greatest source of strength by the power of God's great spirit they could endure what they could never endure before he told them in Acts chapter 1 he said I'm going to give you power to be martyrs see before when the struggle came they couldn't endure it and they ran and he said but I'm going to fill you with a spirit that when they stone you you can say Lord lay not the sin to their charge 
Why could Stephen stand there on that day? It was because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Why could he say, it's all right? Why could he love those that were hitting him? Because he had something that they never had. Peter could stand up. Peter could preach. And Peter could live to the day when they tortured and killed him. And he would not deny Christ. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit is. Now out of their bellies would flow rivers of living water. This was the joy that was coming after so much pain and labor, after so much difficulty and disaster. It was coming and they would be the first to taste of these magnificent waters after resurrection would come Pentecost. I'm going to close for you from 1 Peter 1. I know you've heard it already once, but I just can't get enough of it, Tim. You've heard me preach on this. When I visited church, I preached on it. When I'm at home, when I'm feeling discouraged, I preach on it again. I talk about it and I quote it. If you're today feeling a little bit down, I think you need to read 1 Peter. He says, to the people of God, I say this, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. By what? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible undefiable that fades not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith and a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time wherein you greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be you are in heaviness through your manifold temptations that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that will perish, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Do you know Peter was there on this day in John 15? That's why he could say, Whom having not seen, you love. In whom now you see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory receiving the end of your faith even the salvation of your souls of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you searching what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified before of the sufferings of Christ and the glory which would follow afterward Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they ministered these things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel to you, the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. If I was a shouting and a running and a hollering and a jumping preacher, I'd be running and a jumping and a hollering and a shouting right now. But I'm sedate and under control this morning let us pray Lord thank you for the joy Lord thank you for the promise of the joy we see this is how you work And on a smaller scale in our individual lives right now, I know many of us are suffering. But Lord, according to your word, all things work together for good to them that love you. 
those that are called according to your purpose. I know I'm one of those. Lord, I pray that what sufferings and difficulty we experience today, that they would be part of the joy later. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you. Oh,